Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. My guest today is Kristen Smith, the Director of External Affairs for the Blockchain Association. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks for having me, Laura. The Blockchain Association was formed fairly recently. Tell us what it does. So the Blockchain Association is a trade association based in Washington, D.C., and it is made up of members who are players, different companies, projects, exchanges, uh, investors in the crypto industry. And we advocate for their public policy goals uh, before regulators and before Congress. And last week, you guys released a Medium post that looked at when crypto tokens could be considered securities versus not. What did that post say? So we released a post on Medium. If you want to check it out, our uh, it's medium.com slash at blockchain A-S-S-O-C. And what we did is we looked at what we believe to be the most pivotal piece of guidance to come out of the SEC to date. And that was a speech that was given back in June by Director Bill Hinman, who heads up the Division of Corporation Finance. And what Bill Hinman did during this speech is he talked about how Bitcoin, but more importantly, Ethereum, were not at that date considered to be securities. So what we did in this analysis is we went and looked at some of the qualities that the Bitcoin and Ethereum networks had as of June 14th. And just like you would in a case of law, we said it would essentially be inherently unfair for the SEC to hold other token networks to a standard that is different uh, or lower than this standard. So We believe that this framework, that if this is the framework we're going to use going forward, is workable and it allows for still having a little bit of centralization in a project while still being sufficiently decentralized enough in order to no longer be deemed a security. So this is a framework that we think is important as the SEC is working towards issuing further guidance and also a framework within which Congress can look to as they are looking at legislation in this space. And Bill Hinman is director of the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance, but he's not a commissioner. So how much weight do his informal remarks have? Is there a possibility that the SEC's formal guidance could end up looking quite different from what he said at this conference? I don't think the formal guidance would look 
substantially different. It could provide a, a greater level of detail that we haven't seen today. But the fact that this speech was put on the SEC's website and is part of their official record, this indicates that this is not just some off-the-cuff remark that he made in a more informal environment or something that he came up with you know, while speaking on a panel. This is a piece of, uh, this is a speech that was very well thought out and it it's consistent with all of the later actions that we've seen. I mean, what Hinman is essentially saying is that if a network is sufficiently decentralized, that sort of negates the need for why we have securities laws to begin with, because we have securities laws to deal with this information asymmetry issue where you have an investor and you have a promoter of the investment and they have different levels of information. Securities laws are supposed to have provide a level playing field so that all investors know the key uh, sort of material, you know, plans that management have so that they can make an informed investment. So we're we're hopeful that as the SEC continues more guidance, that it will continue to be in line with this framework. Yeah, and I do want to point out that. Valerie Saponic, who is uh, was named sort of head of the division, I think that is devoted to these issues. She reports to him, so uh, you know I think this is probably something that that department, I guess, um, has thought about a lot. And there's probably a lot of thoughtfulness, maybe that that went into uh, his his remarks at that conference. So you name this the Hinman token standard. How do you define that? What are the main factors that you are using into in determining whether or not a token is considered a security? Well, we call it the Hinman standard because it, you know, obviously this was a framework that was laid out with Hinman. And as I mentioned before, it's this idea that tokens from a network that are at least as decentralized as Bitcoin Bitcoin and Ethereum were um, as of in June of 2018 are not securities. We think there are a couple of key ones that make the most sense um, that get to this issue of um, you know what is sufficiently decentralized. You know, if there is more than one person or group of persons that can influence the network, then we think that's something that should be considered. If there is some level of functionality, it doesn't have to be uh, fully functional, but you know, some basic level, we think that's an important consideration as well. Um, and so these are the types of things we actually go through every single one of the questions that Hinman outlined. And um, you know, make a comparison on those dates and then try to take the sort of lesser of the two and and put that in as a standard. So it's, it's um, you know, probably not a perfect analysis, but it's an analysis that was, you know, thought through by many of our members and many of their councils. And so we welcome ideas and suggestions how to work within it. But the basic point is that New token networks should be able to look at this as a form of guidance, uh, just as you would look, um, you know, if you're going into a court of law, you would look at the case law and try to apply the facts of your case uh, compared to that of 
of the case law. And it's it's a reasonable framework for thinking about these going forward. But more importantly, it's a really good model as we try to make more uh, permanent policy for the industry. And earlier when you said that one of the factors would be functionality, does that mean that the network should be live? Yes, we believe the network should be live to a certain extent and that some of the purchasers are um, purchasing to use them within the network as opposed to speculation. But you're still going to have you know, certain users that want to buy the tokens because they think they might go up in the future. You're not going to have a situation where 100% of the users are using their tokens um, within the system because you know these are new and it takes a while for uh, the markets to build out. But yes, there does have to have some basic level of functionality. And then earlier when you were saying that there should be more than one group that has influence over the network, obviously because now we know that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not or Bitcoin and Ether are not considered securities, would that be equivalent to how Bitcoin has, of course, the developers as well as the miners, uh, similar with Ethereum? And then on top of that, you know, with Ethereum, you also have the uh, the foundation, you have uh, big companies like Consensus, you have all these, obviously, different projects that are building on Ethereum. Is that what that means? Yeah, I mean, I think the most concern is with the developers, right? Because the the, the reason that this this entire thing is a question to begin with is because in securities laws, there is no under the definition of different things that make up a security. There's this term investment contract in there, and there's no definition for investment contract. So the Supreme Court back in 1946 has this Howey test that defined an investment contract as an investment of money in a common enterprise where the investor is expecting a return from the efforts of a promoter or third party. And so what what Hinman was talking about in this speech is, is getting at this, is there a single promoter or third party upon which the enterprise's success or failure depends? And in the case of of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and, and, and when we're looking at those networks, we don't have a single common third party. Um, it's it's really something that is more uh, closer to what we might see in a commodities market like gold. Uh, there's no single person out there that it, you know can control the market uh, for gold because there is no one person that controls gold. That is substantially different. Then when you're buying a, you know, a stock certificate in a company where there is a management team that's in place that's making strategic decisions that, that provides the return. And so it's, it's difficult because what we've seen with some of these projects is that in the beginning, before they're built out and developed, there is only, uh, you know, there's often a team that is building the project that has the vision. And at that time, if they're doing a pre-sale of tokens, that's that's definitely a security. I mean, there's no getting around it. It's figuring out that that line in the middle where all of a sudden the project's live, other people have influence, everything you know is available, you know, potentially in uh, open source uh, code, so people can go look at that. It's it's all of a sudden the project has sort of taken off a life of its own. 
It's no longer one person or one group of persons that control it. And it's at that point that we think that, or at least our members of the Blockchain Association, we believe that the securities laws are no longer necessary. There's no longer information asymmetry concerns. And that you know we should look to policies like the Token Taxonomy Act that was introduced in December uh, by Congressman Warren Davidson and Darren Soto. And you know that definition in their legislation of a digital token, which is then excluded from the definition of securities, is very much in line with the framework that Hinman laid out. So we're really, you know, excited that Congress is giving a nod to Hinman in this space. And we hope that the commissioners at the SEC and the chairman at the SEC, you know, continue to work with this framework and and don't backtrack on on the speech that they put out there last summer. In a moment, we'll further discuss decentralization, but first a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. Your post seems to say that there's a misconception that decentralization and leadership are mutually exclusive, but that actually a project can be decentralized, but also have leadership. So how do you distinguish between those two, between leadership and centralization? Yeah, it's a really tough concept to, to get at. And, you know, decentralization is, is a spectrum that sort of goes in many directions. So we think that there can be uh, thought leaders that are out there that are um, putting forth ideas and have a vision. But the difference is that they alone cannot execute on that vision. Um, they need to have the buy-in of other participants in the network in order to move forward. So we think that you can have leaders that continue to influence, um, but you know, they have to, they, they, they alone cannot control um, or implement their own influence without getting support of others. I also wanted to ask about another token that probably it is a little bit more complex or, or maybe it's not, I'm not sure. On the one hand, you could say that Ripple is not a security because they didn't have an ICO, which as you said before, would indicate that something was a security, at least at that time. However, many in the crypto community view Ripple as being centralized. So how would Ripple fare under the Hinman standard? So I'm not an expert on Ripple or XRP. I I believe um, they would fare relatively well today. My understanding is, um, and again, I'm not an expert on XRP, but that, that they they claim to have no central control over XRP. Um, you know, I think what's more important for the industry is that when we have large players in, in the industry that are working to talk with policymakers, whether they be regulators or lawmakers up on Capitol Hill, it's important to have a relatively 
unified front. And I think that all of us, um, you know, Ripple is not a member of the Blockchain Association, but we've had lots of conversations with them. And I think we all agree that the Hinman token standard is a, is a thoughtful standard, but we really need additional guidance and additional or additional legislation in order to provide clarity for the industry. Because what's happening is innovators are deciding not to build projects here in the United States because of the lack of regulatory clarity and they're moving overseas. So as a matter of U.S. competitiveness, we think it's important that we take this framework and bring it to the next level, make it more permanent and give people more guidance on the front end so they don't have to build something and then sit around and worry about the SEC after the fact. And tell me more about the Token Taxonomy Act. What does it propose exactly? And what likelihood do you think there is that it will pass? So the Token Taxonomy Act does a couple of things, but the most important thing, as I mentioned before, is that they define this term digital token. And this is a token um, where, you know, there, there's a complex definition. I encourage you to look it up online. You can go to congress.gov and look at Google search or search in the bar for Token Taxonomy Act. But it gets to this idea that it's created um, in a way where not as it, or I'm sorry, it has a transaction history that is, uh, you know, cannot be altered by any one person or group of persons. So it's, it's the same idea of decentralization that Hinman had in his speech. And this, you know, if a token were to meet this definition of digital token that's laid out, it's excluded from securities laws. And when you're excluded from securities laws, you don't have to comply, um, you know, with the requirements and you don't fall under the jurisdiction of the SEC. So we think this would enable the SEC to focus their resources on, you know, actually enforcing securities laws where it's indeed a security and will preserve these digital tokens to be regulated by other agencies. So we're not saying that there won't be fraud regulations for these tokens, but you know, it won't be to the degree that that the SEC has control over them. I do think this legislation has a possibility of moving. I spoke with Congressman Davidson this week and he and Warren here, I'm sorry, he and Darren Soto, uh, his counterpart from Florida who introduced the bill, are eager to get it reintroduced. And right now they're working to broaden the, the number of supporters of the bill. And they're also interested in getting feedback from different, you know, industry stakeholders in order to improve it. I think they know that it's not perfect as written, but they wanted to get it out there and get the conversation going. And that's, um, I guess that's sort of the difference between working with Congress and working with the SEC. A lot of times with regulators, sort of you get something and then you have to, to have to deal with it. Uh, there's, it's really a, it's a very open process with Congress and they're very eager to have informal conversations and, um, you know, have, have discussions and get input in order to improve the product as they go. So, um, I think there's some, it's, it's a really wonderful start and we've got some great champions and, you know, I'm hopeful that we can see this 
move through the process uh, now that we've started a new Congress. And so I'm not so familiar with what it takes to get something passed into law. So what are all the steps that need to happen before that can happen with this bill? Well, first, you have to have a bill introduced. And then really, the only requirement you need is that an introduced bill passes both the House and the Senate in identical form. And so typically what happens is the bill would get introduced in one one chamber and then uh, gets modified through the process, uh, perhaps in the other chamber. That would mean that, you know, the original chamber would have to take it up again. Once Once it gets voted on in identical form by both chambers, it's sent to the president who can either uh, veto it or sign it into law. So the, um, you know, we have a long ways to go. We're definitely in the first chapter of this uh, process, but we, you know, have some good ideas out there. Uh, The next step, you know, it's most likely something of this nature that's this technical for whatever reason, uh, the House tends to be a little bit faster and more responsive than the Senate. So now that we're in the new Congress, we'll have to get this legislation reintroduced, and then it would move its way through, uh, at first, the House Financial Services Committee. There may be other committees of jurisdiction that would have to consider it as well before going to a vote on the House floor. All right. Well, I guess we will see what happens with all the with all the craziness going on in Washington. <laughs> yes, I think there's a lot of work cut out for us, but I, there is also a lot of interest in, uh, especially uh, by members of Congress, in getting the policy right and uh, making sure that the U.S. continues to be a leader in finance and technology. Great. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Great. Thanks for having me, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylene Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.